Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. This is the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIBC. Good evening. It is a beautiful day in historic not downtown Indianapolis. I am Tony Kinnett coming to you live from the studio and uh, we're ready for a bit of a show this evening. So let's dig in and uh, get started. Uh, Number one, Nashville shooter manifesto finally out in public. We finally get a little bit of an idea about what was going on inside this insane shooter's mind and all of the chaos surrounding this entire situation. Uh, For those who may not remember, a 28-year-old Audrey Hale, who was pretending to be a man, uh, broke into a Christian school called Covenant Christian uh, in Nashville and killed six people, including three children. And uh, this individual left a manifesto behind, as a lot of shooters tend to do. And uh, that's the last we heard about it for a while. The police refused to release any kind of information, refused to tell anyone what the manifesto said. There were a lot of rumors that it contained a lot of things that perhaps might not be uh, favorable toward the trending narrative. And uh, it turns out that it wasn't. And it wasn't the Nashville shooters uh, catching police department. It wasn't the Nashville police department that ended up releasing that information. That actually came from Steven Crowder this morning, kind of threw everyone in the journalistic world upside down completely. We'll be on with Greg Price next to talk about that. Next in the quick news roundup, an anti-Semitic nutcase drove her car in an attempt to commit an anti-Semitic crime in Indianapolis through an anti-Semitic organization, which is just the most cosmic justice thing that has ever happened on the face of the earth. So Ruba Amaltha, aged 34, admitted to investigators that she was so angry that she had seen all of this pro-Israel content on the air, on the news, on social media, that she drove through an organization that she thought was a Jewish school. She thought this place was a yeshiva and intended to kill Jews with her car by driving it through the building. And uh, if you look at the individual and you look at, again, at her name and at what she told investigators, I'm going to take a a wild guess here uh, that this probably has something to do with being pro-Hamas. Now, take just a moment here and consider the obvious, which is that Though she tried to harm Jews, she ended up harming an an anti-Semitic organization. The Black Israelite movement is wild. Uh, I got a chance to talk to some of those um, individuals, let's call them, when I was in Philadelphia. And it's an organization that proclaims that black people are the real Jews, that the Jewish uh, individuals from uh, the Middle Eastern regions stole being Jewish from black people. And, uh, of course, there's nothing that actually backs up this claim, Um, But there you go. Their center in Indianapolis, their anti-Semitic center, had a car driven through by an anti-Semite, which is, um, that's just something else. We also have a suspect accused of ramming police cars that's been released on bond. So Ryan Mears, right as we're getting up to the heated election between Indianapolis Mayor Joe Hogsett and uh, somewhat Republican hopeful Jefferson Shreve, you have the prosecutor 
who has decided that, you know what, every criminal needs to be released. Sure, people accuse me of, you know, releasing criminals all the time back out on the streets. And here we have a yet another criminal who has been smashing police cars from the IMPD, who has thought that the best move of all, the most skilled and creative move that one can make, is to go around smashing up police vehicles so that he can be released back onto the streets with Bond again. If that doesn't make any sense to you, uh, then this probably is your first time hearing about how crime works in Indianapolis. We have a very big catch and release policy going on. You see, the criminals of Indianapolis, yeah, they may commit a lot of crimes. Sure. Sure, they may put a lot of people at danger. Sure, smashing police cars may suggest that you should be in prison, perhaps for a lengthy amount of time. But if you know Prosecutor Ryan Mears, then you certainly can have the ability yourself to get out of jail in a flash, citing some kind of racial equity situation or some other terrible thing that society did to make you this way. Stellar stuff coming out of Indianapolis. Lastly, but not leastly, the IRS is targeting another conservative group that has been exposing the Biden administration. The Internal Revenue Service has moved to audit a conservative group that has exposed the radicalism of some of President Joe Biden's nominees to senior administrative posts and in doing so led him to withdraw candidates. This is from Tyler O'Neill over at the Daily Signal. So take an idea into the situation. Kind of picture yourself in the Biden administration's shoes. You have some candidates that you would like the U.S. Senate to approve. These candidates are kind of sketchy. They have done some uh, illicit things in their past. They perhaps believe some very disturbing things, perhaps about Israel. They may openly endorse Hamas. They might have very disturbing views regarding gender theory and kids being uh, forced to transition by these very weird transgenderism doctors. And an organization who does investigative work uh, perhaps discovers some disturbing things about your views or maybe how you've handled your money and exposes them to the mainstream media. Well, it appears that if you make the mistake of exposing someone in the Biden administration, the Biden administration will then order the Internal Revenue Service to come after you. And, and this should be comforting because it's something that we know. Of course, the Obama administration, notoriously supposed to be scandal-free, except for his tan suit, as MSNBC columnists would have you believe, targeted conservatives consistently with the IRS. Nonprofits, conservative organizations, journalistic groups had repeated visits from IRS agents. And here we are yet again, yet again, yet again. And this is yet another fantastic argument for why there needs to be a stronger bit of oversight over how the executive office mandates executive functions uh, via all of the bureaucracies in the House. Up next, we are going to be talking to Greg Price a little bit. But before we do, I want to take a moment to say thanks for allowing me onto your screens or on your radios. I am looking forward to the Tony Kinnett cast, uh, kind of going through the next couple of weeks, have some very exciting guests coming for you. Also have the WIBC staff uh, coming along. Uh, I love Indiana very much. It's where I grew up. I was aggressively pro-Hoosier no matter where else I went, whether it was New York or Wisconsin in college, so much so that they... Uh, would always start to sneer when I would bring up those glorious plains of Indiana. Uh, there's nowhere that I am more passionate about, and I think that we all could do with just a little less focus on the streets of Indianapolis and a little bit more on what is going on outside of I-465. Stay tuned. Uh, look forward to getting a little bit into this interview with Greg Price talking about this crazy Nashville Tranifesto. You are listening to the Tony Kennecast on 93 WIB. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. This is the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIPC. Good evening and welcome back to the Tony Kinnick cast on 93 WIBC. This evening we are joined by the one and only Greg Price. He's the comms guy for the one and only State Freedom Caucus Network. And uh, there's been a bit of breaking news today, wouldn't you say, Greg? I would say so, yeah. Something, you know, pretty big just happened this morning. And it's it's not the kind of thing that should have been really big breaking news around this time. This should have been broken and released by the Nashville Police Department ages ago. Of course, we're talking about the Nashville School Covenant Shooters Audrey Hale's Death Day Manifesto released uh, by Steven Crowder. And good Lord, this thing is insane. Walk us through what this Tranifesto says, Greg. This thing's nuts. Yeah, I mean, you read it and you immediately know why, as if you couldn't... Uh put two and two together before why law enforcement went through such lengths to keep this thing hidden. You know, she writes about how she wants to essentially kill these kids because they have white privilege. She said she wanted to, you know, kill the crackers and was talking about how they're like wealthy and stuff. And she wrote out like an entire schedule of what she was going to do all day long, what included a final video apparently too. I wonder if we'll ever see that, but probably not. And yeah, like you said, the weird, like the strangest of strange court cases is still ongoing surrounding the full release of these materials. Right. You know, the lawsuit was brought by uh, gun rights groups because they said, hey, if you're going to change the gun laws in Tennessee because of this, we, we should know what the motivation was for the shooting. And Complete and utter very, transparency. Yeah. And it's 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 a crazy lawsuit because it's the parents at the actual Covenant School who are the ones suing to keep this stuff hidden. Not all of them, but just a couple of them. And it shouldn't be hidden. And the reason it is hidden is because the United States government, specifically the intelligence community, has a vested interest in making the American people think that the biggest domestic terror threat is white supremacy, even though it isn't. Even And so, you know, the Buffalo Shooters Manifesto was released immediate, immediately. Details of the Jacksonville Shooters Manifesto was released immediately. But when it came to a transgender shooter, they fought through great lengths to keep it hidden, and they did it for one reason and one reason only, and it's because it goes against the narrative that the government is trying to sell to the American people. And that's one of the things that is really key to point out here, obviously, on with Greg Price from the State Freedom Caucus Network. If you actually take a look at what this manifesto says, it's very discordant with what we were told by a lot of pro-LGBTQ activists, and we were even told by a lot of left-wing columnists for places like the Washington Post, well, likely the Tranifesto is just about how they really don't like all of this Christian anger. You know, she shot up this Christian school. Clearly, they're upset about how Christians are trying to keep transgender people down, and that's not what the Tranifesto ends up saying, at least in these pages that are uh, or leaked here. It says... Um, Kill those kids, those crackers going to private fancy schools with their uh, fancy sports backpacks, with their daddy's Mustangs and convertibles. F you, little S. I wish to shoot you week eight. And it just goes on talking about their white mop, yellow hair. 
it, it's just straight out of this anti and again i i usually hesitate to say this because oftentimes it's just this weird racial dynamic but this really is straight out of the diversity equity and inclusion textbooks where you're told that every problem that you have is a result of rich white men and their children and this kind of horrible infestation of awful disgusting vile racial garbage that is spoon fed to these kids is raising when you combine this with this mental illness that these uh, shooters often are under the influence of it creates horrible horrible hate crimes and yet what's kamala harris out running around the country talking about islamophobia i mean you have jews asians and white students being attacked all over the country uh the inner city violence on the day-to-day is insane and yet, when we look at state policy, Greg, this is obviously your specialty. You're looking at what policy is going on in Tennessee or in Indiana or in New York or in Virginia. They start bringing up these alternative crime situations that are nowhere near as prevalent. Oh, yeah, that's absolutely true. And, you know, you know, like we said, it's why they kept all of this stuff hidden. And, you know, what's crazy is you think back to, like, all the stuffs when we talk about state politics, you think about all the stuff that happened with the Tennessee special session, you know, how those three lawmakers led an insurrection and got kicked out of, of uh, their seats by the Tennessee House of Representatives. You think about how all of this happened because of the Covenant shooting. And while all of that was going on, you know, we didn't know the motivations for it. You know, they wanted right. th- these people wanted to change state law. They wanted to criminalize law abiding gun ownership on the state level without knowing why this person did what this person did. And now, and now we know, and like you said, it's her, her rant, it's the ramblings of a crazy person, but they right. in many ways do reflect the DEI agenda, you know, pitting, you know, the shooter was white, but you know, you can see from the writings, the idea that, you know, the rich white people are the, the uh, source of everything bad in our nation. Like oh, the stuff reads straight out of this playbook that's becoming more prevalent in schools and especially in corporate America. And this is, you know, it taken to its most extreme. And when you take a look at this, you take a look at the Black Lives Matter organizations around the country, which, you know, immediately praised the October 7th massacre from Hamas. And you see this kind of decolonization rhetoric being taken further and further. It really does make you stop and question whether when you have men, individuals that are dealing with severe mental illnesses, whether they're going to take this violent rhetoric. And again, you think of the Washington Post columnist who said, what did you think decolonization was? You know, a strongly worded letter. And you see these organizations with overtly violent calls to action. Now, it's kind of we're supposed to disassociate an individual who takes that and runs with it, who has a, a severe mental illness and uses that to massacre a bunch of children at a Christian school. I mean, no, these things are linked and this kind of rhetoric that calls for this violent decolonization. This is the natural end point. No one should be surprised. And no, not at all. That's, that's a hundred percent correct. And, you know, like, like, you know, you, you mentioned uh, the overt support of Hamas from many of these left-wing groups like BLM you know, we saw what happened in D.C. on Saturday. They had this gigantic pro-Hamas rally throughout, you know, where apparently hundreds of thousands of people uh, showed up. Here's my question. You know, did the FBI send, uh, you know, any informants into the crowd, maybe? Did they have, you know, any people dressed as uh, pro-Hamas supporters telling people, we need to go into the White House? The answer is they because probably they, did. They not- did with January 6th. 
That's you know, exactly right. They send right. them to school boards, you know, Catholics praying outside in abortion clinics. That can't stand. But when you have pro-Hamas protesters and activists scaling the fence at the White House, oh, all of a sudden Liz Cheney's totally silent about it. It's insane. Yeah, yeah. like you said, you know, they sent informants to Latin masses because Catholics are apparently the most dangerous people in America these days. They did it to school board parents. You know, they, they've been rounding up and arresting anybody that was near the Capitol on January 6th. There are people, you know, Owen Troyer just got a two-month jail sentence and he didn't even go into the Capitol. You know, right. and so, and then you have this, this giant rally that's occurring over the weekend where people are literally, as you said, scaling the White House fence. And, you know, we, we know that there were several dozens of federal informants in the crowd on January 6th. Apparently, you know, that's only reserved for Trump supporters. It's not reserved for people who are in support of actual terrorism. Absolutely. Greg, thank you so much for following a lot of this. I, I know that at times it's almost there's too much to keep track of. But you guys over again at the, at the State Freedom Caucus Network, you're doing incredible work. Uh, thank you so much for what you're doing. And uh, we'll, we'll try to bring you back on as, as more of this information unfolds. You can provide, hopefully, a little bit more clarity as the light hits the stuff. Always happy to be on with you, Tony. Thank you. You are listening to The Tony Kinnecast on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Tony Kinnett cast on 93 WIPC. I just can't believe how positively ridiculous it is that at this period in time, we have members of Congress who are actively and openly calling for Jews to be murdered in Israel, calling for Palestine to reach from the Jordan River all the way to the Mediterranean Sea, defending Hamas, making excuses for these despicable organizations. But the mainstream media is focused on Speaker Mike Johnson, the new Republican Speaker of the House. Good evening. My name is Tony Kinnett. This is the Tony Kinnett cast. And I want to bring this into focus for just a few minutes because everyone is shocked that evangelical Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, is, uh, in fact, an evangelical. It's shocking to people. There were six articles written over the weekend, six, about how crazy it is that that Speaker Mike Johnson believes in what the Bible says as, as a Christian, that as an evangelical, he believes evangelical things, that he perhaps uh, does things, like takes steps to make sure that uh, he's... Um, keeping his son perhaps accountable in, in things regarding pornography. Oh no, a Christian who doesn't like pornography. I've never heard of that before. Six articles over the weekend from major media outlets about just how crazy and horrible it is that that Speaker Johnson has that that kind of, I guess, outlook on life, that kind of view. And yet, those media outlets had zero articles on Rashida Tlaib, on AOC, on Cori Bush, on prominent left-wing activists and representatives in our own Congress, Ilhan Omar, 
saying despicably gross anti-Semitic things and covering up for individuals who were scaling the fence in front of the White House. Now, again, you start to go into these kind of issues. You start to talk about the kind of concerns that people have about the Hamas activity. Of course, the southern border is completely open. FBI Director Christopher Wray says we basically don't know uh, if any of these individuals uh, are affiliated with Hamas just a couple of weeks ago by happenstance. A law enforcement official on the southern border arrested a known Iranian terrorist. And I don't mean he was on the watch list for possibly some terror. I mean a known terrorist held by the state of Iran that they dispatched to the United States. And Homeland Security has caught two more since the last couple of weeks, since October 7th. It is insane. And you have members of Congress openly defending this kind of garbage. A colleague of mine at the Heritage Foundation, Jason Bedrick, uh, brought up some of these incredible non this incredible it's beyond nonsense Israel which has taken every single precaution to warn Palestinian civilians to get out of any other area is not allowed to fight back and Rashida Tlaib accuses Israel of committing genocide because they're fighting back after the insane chaos of 1500 dead on their own borders People on the political left, people on the political right, people that are pro-Zionism, people that are anti-Zionism. There was an anti-Zionism rave held next to the Gazan border, which is where these Gazan Hamas terrorists paraglided in and massacred people, not just at the concert, but held up checkpoints and shot people from car to car as they were leaving. Not to mention the raped children, the butchered children, uh, children's rib cages, which were tied together uh, from the forensic evidence, parents, which were raped in front of their children and the children tortured in front of the parents before everyone was executed. And that's the kind of stuff Hamas did. And Israel is supposed to take some kind of magically proportional response, which, by the way, is not actually terminology that is used in war in any way whatsoever. Hamas needs to be eradicated, yet we have sitting members of Congress openly defending them. You have people at American colleges and universities running around saying, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, which has since its inception been a genocidal statement. Every Jew that stayed in the Gazan area, in the Gazan Strip, as well as in the West Bank regions after Israel became a state, was executed or fled the country in fear. There is no two-state solution in which the, the Jews of Israel... And the people on the outside of it are going to coexist peacefully for happy and forever because both Sunni and Shia Islam call directly for Jews to be slaughtered. Again, if you heard the statement at the beginning of the show from Indianapolis police in which a woman was arrested trying to drive through a building to run over Jewish children. Unfortunately, she was too stupid to realize it wasn't a yeshiva and children weren't in the building at the time. Thank God. And yet, all the focus is on Speaker Johnson. Oh, he's a, he's a conservative who believes in the Bible. Yeah, yeah, that's the threat. Yeah, the, the real threat are, are those Catholics that are, that are standing outside of, of uh, abortion clinics and are committing the unspeakable act of praying. Here's Washington, D.C. You, you'll notice the large crowd that is uh, gathered up and down that street, if you can't see on the live stream. Uh, if you're listening to the radio instead of the live stream, obviously you can't see a very massive crowd, hundreds of thousands in Washington, D.C. And the left was quick, quick as a flash to tell you how peaceful and wonderful the protest was. There was singing and chanting. And I tell you what, the celebrities were just about ready to break out in a good old round of Imagine. It was just wonderful. And then it got dark. And as we all know, when, pro- when it gets dark, progressives like to do one thing and one thing only. And that's riot. Yeah! 
if you're not listening uh, to the live stream, maybe you're only hearing this, people that are trying to climb the fence at the White House after Rashida Tlaib was on Twitter saying the president was complicit in genocide. Fucking coward! And uh, that's where we are as, as a country right now, where if you are on the left and you have a good enough excuse, you can break absolutely every single law in the books. You can, as a sitting member of Congress, incite violent riots in the Capitol, not tell people to protest and make their voices heard, but make excuses for genocidal terrorist groups who have raped and murdered children in front of their families and vice versa. And, oh, the real crime at hand is, is Speaker Mike Johnson, who, who believes that, that everyone in the United States and also Christians in general should bless Israel. And there has to be some kind of grand conspiracy theory that's out there that, that Speaker Johnson really supports Israel because, see, in the end times, Israel's going to get destroyed, and so that's why Christians are trying to hasten the rapture. First of all, that's not what the Bible says at all. Israel does not fall in the seven years of tribulation. As a Bible-carrying Baptist evangelical, that is not what Scripture says at all. And whether you are a Methodist or a Presbyterian, a Baptist, or a Lutheran, there is no one that I know of who eschatologically believes that it is secretly good to, like, the the end times destroys the Jews or something like that. That's not true. Crazy populists believe that. Bible-believing evangelicals do not believe that. Speaker Johnson openly told a colleague of mine, Mary Margaret at the Daily Signal, that the, the specific verse in the Bible, which is why he supports Israel, says, and the Lord said, I will bless the nations that bless Israel, and I will curse the nations that curse Israel. He's like, that's, that's my philosophy. It's also pragmatic to support the only democracy and the only country that doesn't rape women and hang people from cranes for sexual sin in the Middle East. And yet, yet that's, that's the horrible thing. Not that Rashida Tlaib is, is saying that Hamas is actually, it's just counter-revolutionary. It's just decolonialism. The same decolonialism that the, the Nashville shooter was, was trying to participate in, uh, as, as she openly stated in, in the Tranifesto. And this is where we're at. And yet, yet Speaker Johnson is somehow the bigger fear and concern. Up next, we're going to be talking about Indiana elections tomorrow. I've had a lot of people busting down my DMs and my email inbox about this one. And we're going to talk about what a good candidate is and isn't. Because believe it or not, some people don't quite have any idea as to what constitutes both. You are listening to The Tony Kinnett Show on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Tony Kinnett Cast. 93 WIBC. Thanks for sticking with us this evening here on 93 WIBC. Uh, my name is Tony Kennett. This is the Tony Kennett cast. And as we wind things down uh, on this beautiful, beautiful Monday evening, I want to talk a little bit about what makes a good candidate. And, and not just what, what someone might tell you makes a good candidate is, oh, it's someone who believes what I believe, because that's not quite what fits the bill for an honestly decent candidate. See, there are a lot of Republicans out there who say they believe what I believe. There are a lot of individuals out there who have made the claim quite consistently that uh, 
they believe in a lot of the same policies that I do. They may have grown up in the same way that I do. They may be in the kind of the same general area that I'm in. And uh, they think that that kind of covers it. Jefferson Shreve kind of feels like like one of these. So mayoral election tomorrow in Indiana. There's a lot of elections around the country. You have Mayor Joe Hogsett of Indianapolis, uh, who has thrown a lot of his weight behind a lot of progressive policies. Shocker, he's a progressive. And he's also made some rather dishonest decisions. And, and again, that comes from many different news organizations, not just my I told you so. And then you have Jefferson Shreve, who in 2021 was saying completely different things than he is saying now in 2023. And he has another campaign issue that really gets on my nerves. First of all, he he changes his mind based on how his opponent decides to attack him. That's kind of weird. Joe Hogsett came out with an ad talking about how Jefferson Shreve was this this wimpy little wuss when it came uh, to policy, was too afraid to take strong, confirmed action on gun violence. And so Shreve came out and rewrote his gun policy and said that, yeah, I'm for confiscating guns in certain conditions, and I don't think that people should just be allowed to carry a handgun, even if the Constitution says so. And then Hogsett attacked him on abortion, thought, hmm, that was easy. And then Shreve immediately backed down and said, sure, I'll, I'll keep the IMPD from investigating uh, crimes on the state of Indiana regarding abortion. I, I won't force the IMPD to hold the law. And case after case of Shreve backing down. This is an issue of both good governance not being met as well as cultural competence not being met. You see, to have a good candidate, you need two things. You need good governance or at least a data-driven plan to accomplish good governance if you're a first-time candidate. And you also need cultural competence. Cultural competence, that means both the charisma to get out and make your case for why you would be good at the position you would be elected to, as well as being able to communicate on a cultural level, perhaps things that may not be under the scope of the position of your office, yet you still want to confirm to people that you are driven by the same factors to make decisions that they are. This is why the culture war matters. So you have Republicans in the state of Indiana and around the country that choose to stay as far away as they can from the culture war. People like Mitt Romney, uh, people like Governor Greg Holcomb at times, uh, certainly people like Jefferson Shreve in Indianapolis. And these candidates really don't like to get up near the culture war because tomorrow there'll be an article in Newsweek that says uh, Mitt Romney said something conservative and then everyone goes, oh no, and Mitt Romney's political advisor calls him up and says, hey Mitt, you got to stop being a conservative or you're not going to get elected next time. And so Mitt shuts his mouth and then that's kind of how that kind of nonsense proceeds. You need someone who can be culturally competent, someone who can throw a punch, perhaps. This is why Donald Trump was really successful in 2016, because unlike the standard practice that had become regular for the GOP in the United States, Donald Trump came in and was not afraid to throw a punch. He wasn't afraid to look at the media and say, no, the average American doesn't like that. Also, Hillary Clinton should be in jail. And everyone was like, wow, he's actually willing to go to battle for me. And that worked for a while. The problem is Trump stopped communicating good governance. See, there's another side to being a good candidate. Good governance means that it actually is a better place than you left it when you're done with your term. As a conservative, this means that you should hold certain values, uh, that you should communicate a series of things that really mesh with your, your cabinet, mesh with your constituents. 
And near the end of Trump's term, he picked a lot of people that screwed him over. He made a lot of weird decisions regarding COVID. He made a lot of weird decisions regarding some financial aspects in the Fed. And now that Trump's running again, he's kind of made a few boo-boos, let's say, in his answers to governing this time around. For example, entitlement reform. Our country is hemorrhaging money. Hyperinflation is on the horizon. It is approaching. And Trump seems to want to kind of press his foot down on the gas pedal as much as Democrats do. And that's problematic because you have candidates on one side, like Nikki Haley, who may have some decent governance policies regarding the economy, uh, ignoring foreign policy for a second, which she's a disaster area on. And then on the other side, you have Trump, which kind of gets out there and throws punches, but sometimes there can lack a little bit of substance behind it. So what does a good candidate look like? Well, a good candidate has the knowledge, the foresight, and the experience, or at least the understanding of how the system works, to deliver decent policy. You know what? If you're going to run for office in Indiana, you probably should read the Indiana Constitution. I'm sick of talking to legislators on the Republican side of the aisle, as well as the Democrat side of the aisle, that have yet to read the Indiana Constitution. No, you can't simply throw entire systems out as much as we all want to because of certain provisions in the Indiana Constitution. Things regarding from education to transportation to things regarding our economy. At the same time, you have Republicans who really want to get out there and make some Uh, positive movements for the economy, yet they have no idea what the culture surrounding them is speaking about. Uh, I think of a lot of candidates in Fishers, kind of on the donut counties on the outside of 465, who are elected to office promising that they're going to do a lot of things. They're they're promising they're going to reform the Indiana economy, perhaps they're going to lower taxes. Maybe they're going to fight for the Hoosier family, which has become very popular. And these individuals, once they get to office, something kind of changes and that good governance kind of becomes mealy mouthed. It kind of starts to desist into garbage. And this is a problem because here in the state of Indiana, the general election matters. Of course, you know, there are a lot of Democrat districts that are certainly something that needs to kind of be fought. Indianapolis is a disaster area as always. Of course, South Bend is also a similar Democrat disaster area, but in the rest of the state, we kind of really don't have to care about the general election because we can rely on most of the state waltzing over to the voting booth and voting straight red. And so the Republican candidates will get in and everything is fine, right? No, because we have candidates that are getting in that are neither good on good governance, nor are they culturally competent at all. You have county councilmen who are getting into uh, their offices and they think the only thing that their office is for is providing subsidies to large organizations to come in and build factories right next to the interstate or to provide certain provisions for massive industrial cattle feed farms that the rest of their constituents prefer not to have and are also environmentally, transportationally and economically damaging. Yet we continue to have individuals, these mediocre status quo seekers who provide bad policy because there really isn't any competition in the state of Indiana. And what makes a good candidate, what really makes a good candidate is one who has been through the ringer of a good primary. And that's something that we don't have here. We don't have good primaries in the state of Indiana. We don't. We have a primary in which some people come and cast votes. And some people may have seen something on social media about their particular candidate. 
Uh, if I can throw Greg Pence under the bus for just a quick second here, why was Greg Pence elected to replace what used to be Mike Pence's congressional seat in eastern and central Indiana? Can you name one of his policies that he supports that would affect the state of Indiana or the Hoosiers that live in it? I can't. And there's a reason. I have done thorough research and I cannot find an original idea emanating from that individual's head. He simply skirted through the primary and the general election was a breeze afterward. And we've seen that we saw this very clearly in the Indianapolis mayoral election. Hoosiers don't care about the primary. They don't. They're not involved in their local Indiana GOP. There's really not a whole lot to do. And so unless you're a Republican women's club, which is a far better organization than the Indiana GOP proper, you're just kind of shoveling garbage candidates at the wall because it doesn't matter anyway. Problem is, that's starting to have a negative effect. That's starting to have consequences. Jefferson Shreve is up for election in Indianapolis, and a lot of other candidates around the state are up for election because no one's cared in the primary process. And look, a lot of people got out there and they voted for Shreve and they felt lied to. A lot of people voted for other people in the primary, but the fact of the matter is, people really didn't vet the candidates. People chose the GOP candidate that they liked the best. They didn't really evaluate Shreve on whether he would be good on governance. They didn't evaluate Shreve based on whether he had the charisma. And the reason I point this out is because we are rapidly approaching the same problem in the Indiana gubernatorial primary. Rest assured, the Indiana governor election is the primary. It is. And right now we have five candidates, all of whom are neither excellent on good governance or excellent on communication and cultural competence. You have Doden and Hill, who are pretty culturally competent. I would argue that they care a lot about local Hoosiers and that they have policies culturally that would benefit them. But when it comes to the cultural competence of of wanting to win the election, I'm not seeing it. Mike Braun is running in this Indiana election just to run. He endorsed Trump. Trump endorsed him because that's all it takes to win an endorsement from Donald Trump is just to endorse Trump. And Mike Braun is just skirting in on his name alone. Suzanne Crouch has zero personality whatsoever. She has a bunch of mediocre governance policies for the state of Indiana. Then you have Brad Chambers, who has texted me three times thinking that I'm my father. So thank you to Verizon for mixing up the caller ID names for this political advisor group. And I have no idea what he believes and neither does anyone else. Those are the five candidates. None of them have a really solid package on good governance that is advertised regularly. Eric Doden has his his policy on, on small town governance. That has some merit. But no one's throwing punches. No one is actually advocating to you why they are a better candidate than anyone else. It's this kind of glad-handed, friendly, greeting each other in the morning at church idea of, well, I'm, I'm just going to tell everyone that I'm pretty okay, and hopefully they think I'm just the okayest of the bunch. Is that what makes a good governor? Is that what you want? Or would you rather have a Glenn Youngkin or a Ron DeSantis or a Kim Reynolds or a Sarah Huckabee Sanders of Arkansas? Or a Greg Abbott, someone who's actually willing to get out there and fight for you, but is smart enough not to embarrass themselves on national television. That's who I would want to be my governor. Thank you very much for joining us this evening. This has been the Tony Kinnick on 93 WIBC.